Let's take our Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll pick up where we left off this morning. Genesis chapter 1. I enjoyed worship time tonight, Robert's leading us, and, and uh, you know, we try to sing some newer hymns and songs and things, but we can never, we'll never do away with the old hymns. And, uh, you know, a hymn by definition, uh, the hymn writers would repeat those phrases over and over again to drill those thoughts home. Calvary covers it all. Calvary covers it all over and over again that we would leave remembering that. How many of you thought of Butch Storkson when you heard that song? I just remembered him singing that and, and what a blessing uh, to have those memories. Let's turn, if we will, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 tonight. And we're going to look at the battle of the ages, and we had an introduction this morning, but tonight we're just going to look at the first point of attack, the very deity of God. You'll remember from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we looked at five different points of attack this morning that the, the Satan attacks uh, the believer on, and so I'll just recap those very quickly. In the beginning, God, and of course the Bible just assumes God, Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes those words in the beginning, God. He doesn't bring it into question. He just gives it to us. It's not commanded that we believe. It is not uh, uh, given to us in, in any order type of way. It's just simply laid out there as an assumption, God is real. And I hope that's something that's solid in your heart tonight, that you have solidified that idea by faith. We, we walk so much by sight, and we'll see that a little bit more later on tonight. But by faith, we believe that God is. And uh, that's what faith is, isn't it? Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And by faith, we seek after that which cannot be seen. And it, it, uh, we're a rewarder. The Bible says that we are, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so we seek after God by faith. And so that's the first attack. And we'll look at that in a moment. Then we see in the beginning, God created. And creation, of course, is under attack. And you say, why is, why is creation such an important thing to the devil? Why is that something that is twisted? Because creation is the very testimony of God. It is the witness of his glory to say that God created the heavens and the earth. If we can remove God from the equation that all this happened by accident, well, then we wouldn't really need God, would we? But there is a creator God, Jehovah God, almighty God, who is the creator of all. And then we see the Bible says in verse 26 of Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. The idea that man was created as a triune being, soul, body, and spirit, created in the very image of God, gives us worth and value. The world doesn't want us to think that way today. And so we abort babies and we euthanize others and, and they're doing away with all kinds of things because of sin and disvaluing human life. And then we, we see in Genesis 1 verse 27 that God created him male and female. Well, of course, that's under attack today. And we'll look at that in just a few weeks. And then finally, we talked about in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, that a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife. And the family unit, especially marriage, is under attack today. And so let's look this morning or this evening, Genesis 1, verse 1, and we'll just use that phrase. We can all say it together. We all know it. In the beginning, God. It's an attack on the very deity of God, the very first statement in the Bible. I, I don't think we can even uh, argue that. I, I don't even, honestly, if I, were to, if I were to spend the next two, three hours opening scripture after scripture showing you the attack against the very deity of God, you could simply say, Pastor, I already believe you. 
I mean, we can see it all over the world today. Man has rejected the idea that there is a supreme, holy, righteous, almighty Jehovah God. Because the moment we acknowledge there's a God, we're accountable to him. And we will stand before him and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And we will give an account unto God, the Bible says, it is given unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. So we are accountable to God. Years ago, there was a fellow that uh, came to church here on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, he had been a news junkie. He was really struggling with spirituality and, and understanding what was going on in his heart. But God was working on him and speaking to him. And he didn't know it at the time. And he was looking at CNN and Fox News and all these things. And, and just seeing the, the attack in our, our society and, and how things were deteriorating. And whether it was the president of the United States or the prime minister of Canada or whatever it might have been. And he says, one day I was sitting and I was reading the news. And he says, I just kind of pushed back in my chair. And I said, wow, for everything that's going on in the world, he says, Satan must be real. And he says, then it struck me. And he says, I just turned cold. And I said, if Satan is real, then God must be real. He says, I drove my wife crazy for the next three weeks. I kept threatening I was going to go to church. And he says, on Easter Sunday, I woke up and I said, I said, I, I don't know what to do. And she says, would you just go to church after all and get this out of your system? He was so upset about it. And he came to church and he accepted Christ as his Savior that day. Amen. He said to us, my wife's not going to be happy about this. He says, I've been a mess. He went home and we invited him. I think it was Brother Judge and I invited him for coffee the next day at Tim Hortons. And, and so he came and he met us on Tuesday, or Tuesday night at Tim Hortons and, and in marched his wife with him. And we went, uh-oh, we're going to get an earful. About 45 minutes later, she bowed her head and accepted Christ as her Savior. And we were so thrilled to hear, and she had grown up at Boston Baptist Church, and, and so we baptized them, and they came for a few months, and then they went back to Boston Baptist just to visit, and she found out there was all kinds of people that were in her teen group years ago, and so they've kind of found a home over there. But I'm just thrilled to see that when we acknowledge that all the chaos in this world must be of the devil, then there has to be a God. And we're so thrilled that that man accepted Christ as his Savior as a result. I want you to notice these attacks tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll just focus on this one attack, the battle of the ages, the very deity of God. Father, we love you. I pray that you'd help us through this study the next few weeks. Speak to our hearts and help us to strengthen our lives in accordance to your word. Lord, the Bible is our sword. I pray we know how to use it. I pray, Lord, that we'd have the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, all these things that you've provided for us to be successful in every battle. Lord, I pray that you'd help us just to stand. Lord, at the end of the day, the Bible says, having done all, to stand. Lord, I pray we would not retreat, we'd not lose ground, but instead we'd stand for Christ and the God of the Bible. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, by the way, at this point in Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, we're, we're almost to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, the devil has already been condemned. 
He's already taken his fall from heaven. We don't know exactly when that took place, whether it happened before Adam was created or shortly after he was created. But by Genesis 3, we see the the devil in all of his subtlety comes in the form of a serpent and tempts Eve. And she takes of that fruit and gives also to her husband. And they fell because of their sin of disobedience to God. The devil promised that their eyes would open and they'd become as gods. And that is simply what Satan tries to guide us into, that we would become gods of our own. And eventually he wants to replace that by being our God himself. I'll show you that in the scriptures tonight. But what I mean to say is this, when Satan comes to attack the very deity of God, you, you might ask the question, does he not know who he's dealing with? And my answer to you is this, what does he have to lose? If there's even some slight chance he thinks he can be victorious, why would he not take it knowing his eternal fate? And so he tries at every instance to overthrow God. The apostle Paul said this, I made all things to all men that I might win some, and I think Satan's just like that. I don't have a scripture to prove it, but he has made all things to all men that he might drag you down, that he might take you to hell with him one day. And so he's in this constant battle to take God out of our lives and out of our society. I want you to notice tonight just a couple things. Number one, I want you to notice Satan's methods. Notice Satan's methods. First of all, the challenge of authority. Turn in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 14. The challenge of authority. Do you know what the root of rebellion is? The root of rebellion is the challenge against authority. Brother Hilton just said the word pride, and that's exactly what it is. It's our own pride rising up against authority, saying, I want to be in charge of myself, and so I will challenge the authority in my life. And that's exactly what Satan did. Look, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 14, and if you'll direct your attention to verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Now, let me ask you something. When you hear the name Lucifer, what does that make you think? How many of you have heard that name before? Raise your hand if you've heard the name Lucifer. Sure you have. It's it's not a pleasant thing, is it? It's not something that conjures up great memories. How many of you ever thought about when you're listing names for your children? Well, maybe Lucifer would be a good name. How many of you wanted to name them that when they were teenagers? Amen. (laughs) But listen, do you know what Lucifer means? It means light bearer. It means angel of light. It was Satan's name before he fell. It was a very positive thing. Lucifer was a good name. It was a name of an angelic being. The Bible, uh, there's some hints in the Bible that he might have been in charge of some of the music in heaven because of some of his abilities and, and things that we know about him. And so Lucifer was a good name. It means light bearer or angel of light. And so the Bible says, how art thou fallen, O Lucifer? And by the way, that's the only time in the Bible he's called that. From here on out, he's known as many things. We'll look at some of those words later. Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which, thou, uh, which didst weaken the nations? How many of you would say because of Satan's influence, the nations are weakened? I mean, we can't argue with that. Verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart, look at this pride, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. 
Now, the Bible doesn't say that he ever said it out loud. God says, you've said this in your heart. But God knows the hearts of everybody. And this pride in his heart was manifest in such a way that he rose up in pride and he challenged the very authority of God in his heart when he said, I will arise, I will go into the heavens. Listen to this, I will exalt my throne above, above the stars of God. There's a lot of pride involved there. And so Satan begins to challenge the authority of God. And we see that in the Garden of Eden, he begins to transfer that into man. Let's challenge God's authority together. Yea, hath God said? Did God really say that? Listen, that's not what God means, though. God, I want you to understand something about God. He doesn't want you to be like him. I want you to know that I want to ascend my throne above God, and you can too. Because he knows in the moment you take of this fruit, you will be like God's. And Satan challenges the authority of God in our lives. He sets out to reduce the worth of God. You see, if we can rise above God, then God isn't who he says he was. If Satan can somehow elevate his throne above the throne of God, if he can ascend to the mounts of the sides of the north and, and he can be better than God, then God was not who he says he was. If God says, I am almighty, he is not almighty if he can be defeated. But he is God. And this vision that Satan had in his heart, this Lucifer of old, was set to diminish the worth of God. And that's exactly what Satan did in the garden. You don't have to listen to God. What is his word really worth? Turn back to Genesis chapter 3. Not only does he diminish his worth, he diminishes his word. Look in Genesis chapter 3 as we look at a little closer at this challenge that Satan gives. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now I don't know. If Moses is recording every word that is said or not. But it seems a strange thing to me that Eve is standing there looking at the trees in the garden. And the first thing she hears is, yea, hath God said. Perhaps there was some other dialogue before that. We don't know. I I would think that I'm going to guarantee you something. I'm going to promise you something tonight. If we walk out in the parking lot and there's a snake in the parking lot and it begins to speak to my wife, she is going to be running home. I mean, but but Eve wasn't startled by that, was she? It was a very different time. And God had given Adam and Eve dominion over the animals. And so there was no need to fear. There was nothing that could hurt her physically by this animal speaking to her. And so there was no fear known. And, and, and it was just so new to them that they didn't seem alarmed. But he says, yea, hath God said. Is that really what God wanted you to hear? The woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the garden, of the, tr- of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And look what the serpent said unto her in verse 4, ye shall not surely die. He questions the very word of God. Now, I'm not going to get into all the linguistics here, but when he says, yea, hath God said, he's just simply saying, what did God tell you? And she's saying, well, we're allowed to eat of all the trees except for this one right here. Or in the day that we eat of it, we will die. And he says, no, you won't. You won't die. 
For God doth know, then the day ye eat thereof, ye shall become as gods, and your eyes shall be opened. You see how the very pride of Satan challenging the authority of God is now transferred to the heart of man. And in Eve's pride, she said, well, that sounds pretty good. So he challenged the authority of God. Essentially, he's calling God a liar, isn't he? He's saying, no, God's, God's lying. You're not going to die. God said, I'm going to die. No, you're not going to die. Do you know what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 23? God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? God is not a liar. And Satan's first lie was to say that God was the liar. Satan's ego and his pride caused him to have issues with God's authority. And friends, it is no different today. And that's where the attack begins on the very deity of God. We see the challenge of authority, but we also see the challenge of autonomy. So what do you mean by that? Satan challenges Eve and, and also Adam that they can be autonomous. Their eyes will be opened. They can be independent creatures. They don't have to listen to God. That they can be like God. And so they can have full autonomy over themselves. Satan is challenging man. You don't need God, but instead you can be your own gods. Notice the progression we see in Scripture. He first questions the worth and the word of God, and then he replaces God with you. Be yourself. This was the very core of God's judgment during the days of the judges, where the Bible says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every man became his own God. This is the very call of the world today. Think about some of the models that we hear uh, around today. Be yourself. Be all that you can be. Take pride in who you are. Don't let anybody tell you who or what to be. That's not what the Bible teaches. The scripture says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Take up your cross and follow me. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Paul said, I die daily. We, we sing the old songs, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. We glorify God in our music and we lift up his holy name because he is God and we will answer to him and so we worship him and we fall down on our face before him. But Satan says, no, you can be autonomous. Be whatever or whoever you want to. We have never seen that magnified so much as today. Amen. At least in my lifetime. And especially in our society. There's been all kinds of world empires that have fallen due to this type of sin. But we are seeing it rampant today. How dare you tell a child that they're a boy or a girl? How dare you tell a child that they can't dress up like an animal and, and bark at the moon? They're putting litter boxes in children's classrooms in case they think they're a cat. Help us is right. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you were created in the image of God to be what God has purposed in your life. And the greatest compliment God has ever given you is that he would send his son to die on a cross because he loved you. And he says, here's what I want from you. I want you to be conformed to the image of my son. I want you to be just like him. 
That's God's purpose for your life. And so we see that he gives us the challenge of autonomy. You can be whatever you want to be. But then Satan takes it a step further. He doesn't leave it there. By the way, if you, if you think that Satan is okay with you just living your life and being whatever you want, you are sadly mistaken. He wants to be your God. And so he first challenges God's authority. Then he challenges man about their own autonomy. And then he gives us the challenge of allegiance. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I want you to see something here. The challenge of allegiance. Listen, by the way, once he's broken you free from God and you think you're living your best life, he will make you a slave to something. I promise you. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil taketh him. Who is him? Jesus Christ. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto them, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt what? Fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Let me, let me ask you something. If Satan will take Jesus, the very Son of God, and say, bow down at my feet and worship me, don't you think he'll do the same to you? Amen. He doesn't want you just to be free from God. He wants you to be serving him. It's not just about your autonomy. It's about your allegiance. This is the third step. Challenge the authority of God. Challenge man to be autonomous. And then replace both of those with Satan as God. He tried it with Jesus, he'll try it with you. Listen to this. Let me repeat this verse, Isaiah 14, 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heaven, I will exalt my throne. Do you know who sits on thrones? Kings. Satan thinks he's a king. And he wants you to bow down at his feet, just like he asked Jesus to do. Consider how Satan is represented in the Bible. You know, you say, well, you know... I heard today, I heard not long ago, somebody says, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Satan worshiper. But that doesn't mean what you think that means. That just means I worship self and I live for self. And, and, and the word Bible, and Satan in the Bible means adversary. And that is adversarial to God for sure. You know, and, and, but listen, listen to some of the names of Satan that we find in the Bible. Of course, you heard Lucifer, which was before he fell, light bearer, or the shining one, or the angel of light. But listen to these names. Here they are. I threw them in alphabetical order for you. Abaddon. It means the destruction and ruin. Apollyon. It means destroyer. Those are both out of Revelation. Accuser or adversary. You've heard those. Angel of light, which speaks of his deception. Angel of the bottomless pit. He is antichrist. He is beast. He is Beelzebub, which means the ruler of the demons. He is Belial, which is the worthless and wicked one. He is the deceiver. He is the devil, which means prone to slander or accuser. He is the dragon. He is the enemy. He is the evil one. He is the father of lies. He is the lawless one. He is Leviathan which means dragon. He is murderer. He is the power of darkness. He is the ruler of this world. He is the serpent of old, referring back to Genesis 3. He is the son of perdition. He is the fallen star. He is the tempter. He is the thief. He is the wicked one. Never in the word of God is Satan painted in a positive life after his fall from the heavens. He is wicked and evil. And he seeks to destroy God in your life by diminishing his glory and taking his place. Listen, there's only 
There's only, we say, well, there's thousands of gods out there you can worship. No, there's only two. There's Jehovah God, and then there's all them small g gods, which are all Satan. There's Christ and there's Antichrist. There's nothing else. Here's what Joshua had to say about the matter. But if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We must make a choice. Listen, we can't sit on the fence any longer, friends. Who are you going to serve? Satan is seeking to destroy the very concept of God in your life. Remember Romans chapter 1, I believe it's verse 23. They did not even like to retain God in their knowledge. If there's ever a slippery slope in scripture, it's saying, I'm going to question the existence of God because of where it will take you, where it will lead you. Questioning the existence of God makes one an agnostic, but unbelief makes one an atheist. Be careful how far you fall. I want you to notice, secondly, we've, we've talked about Satan's methods. I want you to notice Satan's manifestations. How, how does this all come to pass? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to notice a couple things here. Notice the manifestations of Satan. Now, I, I don't want you to leave here tonight saying, well, Good night, I'm looking for demons around every bush. You, you know, here, here's what I know. Satan's a lot more subtle than that. He's a lot more subtle than that. I'm not saying he can't appear. The Bible says he can appear as an angel of light. And we're going to read that scripture in just a moment. The Bible says in verse 12, But what I do that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in the apostles of Christ. So Paul, the apostle, is warning the church of Corinth, there's some antichrists out there. There are those that are against the cause of Christ. And he says, they will present themselves as teachers and apostles and preachers and evangelists and, 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 and prophetic workers and, and those that, that would come across as if they're sharing the truth, but their heart is to mislead you. They are false apostles. They are false prophets. Now look at verse 14. And don't marvel about this, or no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now when we read the Bible, we read that he's a bad and he's a Paulian, he's accuser, he's, he's uh, angel of the bottomless pit, he's antichrist, he's Belial, he's murderer, he's liar, he's ruler of this world. But the Bible says to us, he appears as an angel of light. He's a deceiver. How does he manifest all this work? Well, number one, it's a matter of appearance. That word transform in, in verse 15 means to appear as. You know, the Bible says this. Think about this on the other hand. We are commanded to abstain from all appearance of evil. But how do you do that when it appears good? Do you know what Eve thought in her heart? When Satan says, you shall not surely die, for God knoweth in the day that you eat thereof, you shall be as gods. The Bible says she looked upon the tree and saw that it was good for fruit. It was good for food. She saw it was a tree to be desired. So even though it was wicked and evil and it was against the, the commands of God, it looked good. It appeared good. 
And so we need to have discernment, don't we? How many of you ever heard that expression, all that glitters is not gold? And it's so true. I think, I think when I was a kid, my dad had a thing of fool's gold. Is that right, Mom? I remember seeing that. It looked like kind of a dark piece of coal almost, but it had specks of gold all through it. And I saw it one day, and I said, Dad, is this gold? And he says, no, it's, I think it's called iron pyrite. Is that what it, fool's gold's called? It's fool's gold. It's not real. Well, I, thought, I got excited. Gold is what? $1,800 an ounce, something like that? It's crazy. I heard it just dropped a dollar the other day. We were listening to the news. $1,800, $1,900 an hour. It's incredible how much gold costs. And I, I saw that and I thought, man, boy, it can catch the eye and get you excited about something's value. But in the end of the day, it was worthless. It was absolutely worthless. All that glitters is not gold, and Satan will appear as an angel of light. The Bible says that Satan is subtle in verse chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the sermon was more subtle, but when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it appeared that way. So it has to do with the, the appearance of a thing. We have to be very careful not to be led by our senses. I've used this illustration before. I'm, I'm telling you, do you, do you want to know the number one marketing campaign in all the world as far as I'm concerned? Is when I drive home on a Sunday night, about 6.30 at night, and I'm hungry for supper, and I drive by KFC. Uh-huh. That smell, I mean, you can smell it almost when you pull up the driveway. And we turn right up Ireland Road, and I'm drawn. That smell. Or when you go to the superstore, and they're barbecuing those chickens, and they pump it right in the parking lot. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. We were in Waka, and we had to go to the grocery store the other day, and I walked in, and I I mean, the moment I walked in the door, my stomach started growling. They had a bakery right at the front door, and they were baking fresh bread, and I just went, oh. I said to my wife, I said, I used to work in grocery stores all my teenage years, and even after I got married, I said, if they were smart, I said, I put that bakery at the back, because then you shop as you go to get your your bread. That that draws you right through the whole store. That, That smell. Do you know why? Because we're, go- we're governed by our senses a lot of times. We really are. Mine eye hath affected my heart. We have to be very careful what we see doesn't take control. Because all that glitters is not gold. Satan can appear as an angel of light. It's a matter of appearance, but it's also a matter of appeal. How many of you would agree that an angel of light is far more appealing than an angel of darkness? When I think of an angel of darkness, I conjure up images of demons and Satan and all these things. But an angel of light seems harmless. If I read the book of John, the light is a good thing. And so Satan appears as that angel of light and makes all kinds of promises. In other words, Satan's going to package sin in an appealing way to draw you away from God. To attack his deity. He didn't say to Eve that you could no longer worship God. He said, you can be your own God. He made it sound positive and appealing. The fruit looked good for food. It was something that she desired and would want. Can you imagine? If Satan were going to tempt me, I'm going to tell you this. I hate bananas. I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's just in my head. Because if you say, what foods don't you like? There's not much I don't like. 
You don't get a body like this being fussy, I'll tell you that. If you put it in front of me, I like it. Usually I'm going to eat it. It doesn't matter what it is. And people have challenged me on that. And they'll say, well, you eat that? Yeah, I'll eat that. Give me, I don't care. Give it to me. My wife said, what do you want for supper? Anything. I'm good. I, I don't mind. But bananas. When I was in fourth grade, I had a kid say, mumbling, say, hey, Alan, look at this. And I turned around. He had shoved a whole banana in his face. And it was running down his chin. And I mean, the smell of it hit me. And you know, you connect things to smell. And, and I, I, it made me sick. I had a weak stomach, and I ran to the bathroom, and I got sick. And man, from that day, I've not eaten a banana since fourth grade, nine years old. 42 years, I've not had a banana. I like banana bread. I like it when it's cooked. But I don't like raw bananas. I don't know what it is. It's just right up here. I'm, I'm positive of it. I guarantee if Satan's going to offer me something, he's going to tempt me with a banana. Right? Because he's an angel of light. He's going to say, I'm going to give him something. To he's going to give me a porterhouse steak. He's going to come to me with something that appeals to me. You know, we sometimes think that, well, Satan's just, he's a destroyer and he's, he's ruinous and he's, a, 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 he's just from the pits of hell. And so everything he has is wicked and awful and I will never be tempted by it. Oh, don't be, don't be so sure, friend. He will offer you the world. I try to tell these young kids sometimes when they come up here and sing or something, Callie or somebody else, I'll say, hey, the world will offer you a lot of money to go sing in the tavern somewhere. Yeah. Listen to the testimony of Bruce Fry. Yeah. But there's no satisfaction in what the Satan offers you. God will give you the real thing. Yeah. And we need to learn to trust him. He needs to be God in our lives. And Satan is seeking to destroy that. It's a matter of appearance. It's a matter of appeal. But friends, it's a matter of attack. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to take you in and destroy all thoughts of God in your life. So how do we respond? Let me give you three things quickly and we're done. Number one, avoid the slippery slope. You say, how do I do that? And no, listen, I, I, I've heard so many people throw that phrase out, slippery slope, slippery slope, it's a slippery slope. I don't ab agree with that in a lot of times. I, I think somebody can say, well, I, I'm standing here right now, and tomorrow I'm standing here, but I, I'm not going anywhere. It's just a conscious choice I made and decision I made and a conviction I have that this is where I'm going to stand. And I, I don't always think that's a slippery slope. I think it's just a choice or a decision. But a slippery slope happens when we start to deny the existence of God. And his authority in our lives. And we don't have to answer to God. And we can be autonomous. And we can, listen, Satan ain't going to let that happen. He wants you to worship him. His desire is to elevate his throne above God's. And so he's not going to allow us to avoid the slippery slope. You say, how do I do that? Stop questioning God's authority. Listen, everybody, if you got a Bible, pick up your Bible in your hands right now. Take up your Bible. This is your Bible. This is the very word of God. It is what it says you are. It, you, you can't escape that. I had a lady one time say, ask me for a Bible. And I said, yeah, I can get you a Bible. And she goes, hey, is it like my Bible? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what kind of Bible you had. And she goes, well, my Bible scared me. She says, I had to cut things out of my Bible because it was scary. She had a holy Bible. It wasn't H-O-L-Y, though. <laughs> She cut sections out of her Bible. She, I said, ma'am, I guarantee you, my Bible's going to scare you too then. Yeah. 
She says, it scared me so bad to read some of those things. Listen, if you disagree with the Bible, you're wrong, not the Bible. We have to stop questioning God's authority. I've heard some people say, well, I believe some of it, then you're, you're, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because how can you edit and redact God's word? How can you say, this is true, but this is not true? That's what the Jesus seminar has set out to do, to blackball parts of scripture and to say, I don't believe Jesus ever said that. And they, they attack the word of God. Attack on the word of God is attack against God himself, for the word was made flesh. And he dwelt among us. Stop questioning God's word. Stop living for self and live for God. That's how we avoid the slippery slope. Second Timothy chapter three and verse four tells us about the end times and how the latter in the latter days there will be men who are covetous, boasters, and proud. But here's one of the things it says: they were lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They sat out in a hedonistic way to serve self and to worship self. Avoid that slippery slope. Number two, turn to 1 John 4. We need to have biblical discernment. All that glitters is not gold. Satan is not going to appeal to you with a banana. He's going to give you a porterhouse steak. You understand that. You remember what I said a minute ago, right? Okay, good. 1 John chapter 4, look there. I'm just giving you time to find it. Beloved, believe not every spirit. It's almost like John had some experience. And it's almost like he knew, hey, there's some, there's some things that are come along that, that look good. But you can't believe all of it. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You want to know something about a false prophet? He's still a prophet. He looks like a prophet. Dresses like a prophet, talks like a prophet, but everything out of his mouth is a lie. He set out to lead you astray. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Have some biblical discernment. Rely upon the Holy Spirit. Pray about things. You'd be surprised how quickly you'll say to God, God, could you help me understand if this is good or right? And how quickly God will tell your heart, stay away from that. Be careful of that. We had a fellow in our church in Hamilton, Brother Spong's nephew, Kevin. And uh, Kevin got saved here at Bethel. He got invited down to the anniversary dinner by, I think it was a Christmas dinner, actually. Pastor uh, Bowman had a Christmas dinner, and, uh, and Gordon Eileen invited Kevin to come. And by the way, Kevin just went home to be with the Lord a couple months ago. He got liver cancer and passed away. And uh, he was kind of our right-hand man there in Hamilton. He would lead singing and just, just had a great spirit about him. He said, you know, Pastor, he said, when I got saved, he says, all of a sudden I just knew cigarettes weren't for me. He says, no, I never heard a message on it. He says, I just knew that my body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. And Kevin had all kinds of health problems. He had a liver issue right from birth, and that's, that's what led to the cancer, and that's what finally took his life. And, and he says, I already had poor health. And he says, here I am, defiling the temple of God. So he says, I just threw them things away. 
He says, I used to drink. He says, nobody told me that drinking was wrong. He says, just something in my heart said, you don't need that anymore. You can trust in Christ. You see, biblical discernment comes when the Spirit of God starts cultivating in our lives and working in our lives, and we pray and say, God, is this right or wrong? Sometimes we have a little white flag that goes up, don't we? A little red flag goes up, we call it. You, you need to pay attention. That could be the very Holy Spirit of God speaking to your heart. Somebody put it this way, others may, but I cannot. Not everything, Paul said it this way, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. What he's saying is I, I, I have liberty in Christ, but I'm not going to just take advantage of that liberty and offend everybody and just go and do whatever I want because I'm, I'm, I might be a stumbling block to somebody. I'm going to keep myself under subjection so I'm not a castaway. So we need to have some biblical discernment. Try the spirits, whether they are of God or whether they are not. And the third thing we need to do is we need to stop listening to the world. There's so many today that say, well, you know, I, preacher, I need some help. And so I, I, I called the Dr. Phil show. I, you know, I got this new book from Oprah Winfrey. Oh, man, that's good stuff. Here's a self-help book. If you could help yourself, you wouldn't be in trouble in the first place. We need God's help, Amen. not self-help. My Bible says my heart is deceitfully wicked. That we all like sheep, all like sheep have gone astray. If we're left to our own devices, we are a mess. I, I, I wish we could be perfect, but then we would never need a Savior. We need to stop listening to the world and its vice. Here's what the Bible says about that. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And here, here's why we don't turn to the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know, sometimes we think the Christian life is so complicated. I think it's just as simple as this. Like the songwriter said, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Satan is attacking the very deity of God. And what do I mean by that? Romans chapter 1, they didn't even like to retain God in their knowledge. That is his desire. Can, can I say this? I, this is just my opinion now. I'm not, this isn't necessarily Bible. This is my opinion. Everything we're seeing in society today, all the nonsense in the schools and the parades in our streets, I believe it's a smokescreen. I believe there's only one purpose. I want to get rid of God. I want to get rid of God in their minds and in their hearts and in society. And Satan's just using all that stuff as a method just as a smoke screen. If he finds out tomorrow that, that he could stand in the town square and juggle tomatoes and that would get rid of our minds off God, he'd do that. If he found some other device that would, would take the, the, the thoughts of God out of our hearts and mind, if he could connive some new scientific theory, he would do it. Because he's made all things to try to destroy the very knowledge of God in our hearts and lives. We must not let him do it.